Praise the Lord. Well, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, if you will, please. Acts chapter 1. We've been talking about uh, and teaching a series that we've entitled God, uh, the God, God and Miracles. And we've been teaching for the last several weeks on the miracles in the church. We've looked at miracles in the Old Testament through Moses and Elijah and Elisha and a variety of others and, and things that God did in the Old Testament. We talked a little bit, didn't spend a whole lot of time, but talked a little bit about uh, the miracles that uh, God did through Jesus when he was here on the earth. But uh, the, the whole purpose of this is for us to build our faith where miracles are concerned and gain information so that we know what to believe for. But specifically how to get God working miraculously in our midst. Now, when you say that, I, I have to qualify that because God is doing miracles among us all the time. There are a lot of things, and, and, and I'm, I'm probably the world's worst at giving testimonies uh, or relating testimonies. And a lot of times, because of that, people know about other things that I don't know. There was something the other day that Beth was telling, started talking about it. Well, it's just like so-and-so that was healed of cancer six months ago. And I said, who, What? What are you talking about? And she told me the story, and I said, well, why didn't anybody tell me? She said, well, everybody assumes you know. I guess I'm supposed to know everything. Or maybe it's that people already think that I do know everything, so there's no point to tell me anything. I, I, I really don't know what the case is. But anyway, there's a lot of things that, that we don't hear about till after the fact. And, uh, and, and in one sense, that's okay with me. I would like it to be that the miraculous is commonplace. I mean, I would a whole lot rather it be that way than for God to do something one time and everybody to go crazy over it because God's never done anything before, you know? So um, uh, there are a lot of things that we don't uh, take time to mention and, and uh, some things, as I said, that I don't even find out about till way after the fact and, and, and so forth. So I don't want to make it sound like we're trying to get God to move because he never has because God's moving in our midst all the time. But I believe God wants to do more in the last days. The Bible talks about a last day move of God that's greater than they had in any time in the history of the world. Haggai chapter 2 says the glory of the last day church will be greater than, the, than the, the first. Now the first can be interpreted either as Solomon's temple when the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priest couldn't stand to minister. Or it can be interpreted to mean the early days of the church that we read about in the book of Acts where people were healed in the streets. I don't care which one of those you use. I'm looking forward to God's plan for the last days. Amen? Well, in order for us to be prepared and, and uh, cooperate effectively with the Lord, we need to know what these things are. And so I, th I believe that's the reason that the Lord would have me to teach on these things and, uh, and, and to prepare us. And specifically, this morning, I want to share with you what is my goal and aim for the church. A lot of people talk about Vision Sundays. I guess this would be the closest thing that I'll ever have to a Vision Sunday. Because I'm going to tell you what my vision is for you and for us as a church family. Okay? Is that all right with you? Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Have you found that yet? Let me, uh, uh, really to get the most out of what we're saying this morning, you need to hear some of the things that were said before. So I'm going to spend a few minutes this morning kind of recapping some things that we've talked about for the last couple of weeks. Um, John chapter 20, in John chapter 20, John gives us an eyewitness account of his and the other disciples' conversion or salvation. Here's John's testimony of being saved. They were all huddled in, behind closed doors and, and gathered up because they were afraid of the Jews, the Bible says. And, um, uh, and Jesus appeared and stood in the midst of them. And this is after Jesus' resurrection, of course. And Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Ghost. Now, either something did or did not happen to them when Jesus said, receive the Holy Ghost. 
if something, if Jesus indicates to them that they are going to receive something, but they didn't, then he's a partner to a fraud. He's defrauded them. He didn't say, now wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Ghost. He said, receive the Holy Ghost. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Ghost. So either if something doesn't happen, Jesus has just misled them. Now he tells them what the Holy Ghost is associated with or what Holy Ghost he's talking about when he breathes on them. He says, whosoever sins you remit shall be remitted unto them. Whosoever sins you retain shall be retained. Well, the remission of sins is salvation. It's the removal of sins. Now, when he, he's not giving them specific in, uh, power to save or, or forgive somebody's sins or not to save or forgive somebody else's sins, he's saying, whosoever receives, believes in me and receives, they'll receive the Holy Ghost for the remission of sins. Well, that must be what happened to them if he's telling them the truth. If he's not misleading them, then that must be what happened to them. Luke chapter 24 verse 52 tells us something did change about their behavior from that point forward. It says where before Jesus appeared to them, they were behind uh, closed doors. They were huddled up for fear of the Jews. It said after Jesus had appeared to them and left them, departed again, it says they were openly in the temple worshiping and praising God. They returned with great joy and were openly in the temple. Now, what would cause a change in them to be willing to go out and amongst uh, the Jews and the, the very ones that had killed Jesus that they were afraid of just a little short period of time before? There had to be a change on the inside of them. Well, no, Pastor Mike, they just were willing to go into the temple because Jesus told them to go into all the world. Well, this crew that was afraid to begin with might have been willing to go into the temple if Jesus was with them after his resurrection. But you can't tell me they would have gone on their own. Something had to change. Something occurred in them. Well, Jesus said it was salvation. Jesus said it was salvation. He was with them a a period of time, for a period of time, less than 50 days, roughly around 47 days, popping in and out of their lives. You know, I wish we were, uh, how do I want to say this? Well, really, I wish Jesus would do that a lot now. But more than that, I wish people knew that he could or would. That changed the way a lot of Christians lived, that they thought Jesus might pop in at any moment. Don't you know? Well, that's what happened for the next 47 days. Jesus is in and out. They never knew when to expect him. He'd show up, appear. Sometimes he'd walk through closed doors. Sometimes he'd walk through walls. Sometimes he'd just appear out of thin air. They'd spend time with him. He'd eat lunch with him and then take off. He's back and forth. The Bible says that over 500 people saw Jesus raised from the dead before the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Now, the language is kind of interesting there because you can't really tell from the language itself if it's talking about a total of 500 people or if it's talking about a group of 500 people at one time. Nevertheless, there's a lot of people that saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead. Saw him physically. Something has changed. Yet Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, let me direct you to that. Jesus said before he left them the last time, Jesus said... Verse 4, being assembled together. Well, let me start in verse 1. Let's just get the context here. This is Luke writing. He said, the former treatise, meaning the gospel of Luke, have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Began means he's not done. He didn't say all Jesus did and taught. Began means it's, it's expected for it to continue. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he had, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. 
to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, meaning crucifixion, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, there's 50 days between the Passover and the, and the uh, day of Pentecost. Three days he was in the heart of the earth and the, he went to the depths of hell and paid the price for mankind. So that leaves a 47-day period. Now, the Holy Ghost says through Luke in, in this verse that we just read that 40 of those 47 days, Jesus was popping in and out. So I guess that means that for the last week before the day of Pentecost, they've been left on their own. To whom he also showed himself alive after his passion, crucifixion, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Boy, I'd like the tapes from that. Because that's going to constitute the, the entirety of what they know. That's going to constitute the entirety of their knowledge prior to the church really becoming established in Acts chapter 2. What did Jesus consider in a 40-day period? What did he consider important enough to teach them so that the church would be built in the way that he said that it would? Upon this rock, the knowledge that he's the Christ, the son of the living God, shall I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Man, this must have been some good teaching. To baby Christians, brand new Christians, less than two months old in the Lord, Verse 4, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. <clears throat> Excuse me. That they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait. There's Jesus' instruction. It's in red. We know he said it. But wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Well, according to the Holy Ghost, his record here in Luke, it was seven days after. They didn't know that. They didn't know how long they were waiting. Verse 6, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? Notice these baby Christians, after hearing for 40 days the things that Jesus taught them concerning the kingdom of God, the very ones that are going to be the foundation of the church, they're still concerned about being out from under Roman rule. Their concern is political. You're going to get us out from under these Romans. You're going to give us our own country again. You're going to set us free like it used to be in the Old Testament. And Jesus answered and said, it's not unto you or it's not, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. But here's what he's wanting them to wait for. Here's the reason he tells them to wait. Verse 8, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and in all Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. This is the last miracle that Jesus did for them. And it was a rapture. He was caught up into heaven. What's the next miracle Jesus is going to do for the church? A rapture. Where he comes back. So while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, I can imagine so, I'd have been there all week. While they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? You know, folks, I, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but God sometimes asks stupid questions. 
What do you mean, what are we looking up into heaven for? Did you not just see Jesus go up? Of course, to the angels, it was no big deal. But the point is, get to work on the things that Jesus told you to do. Which also said, you men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner, same way, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. That's talking about the rapture. So what do they do? Verse 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. What are they praying? Last thing Jesus said is wait for the promise of the spirit. You'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. We don't have any information or anything that would indicate to us that there's anything that they would be praying for other than the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. I mean, if that's what Jesus said to wait for, he's already told them, go into all the world and preach the gospel, but don't go without the Holy Ghost. Don't go without the power of the Spirit. Folks, that for me sums up a lot of what the church world thinks that or is trying to do as far as fulfilling the commandment of Jesus, fulfilling the Great Commission. We're trying to go into all the world, but we don't have the power of the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, don't try one without the other. Now, what is he telling them? He's telling them that the power of the Holy Ghost is going to come upon them. Who is the Holy Ghost? Who is the Holy Ghost? Folks, the Holy Ghost is a miracle worker. The Holy Ghost is the one that did the miracles and healed the multitudes when Jesus was here on the earth. Jesus said so. The Holy Ghost is the one that did the miracles and performed the miracles through Moses, through Joshua. He's the one that made the sun stand still. He's the one that made the walls of Jericho fall. He's the one that parted the Red Sea and the Jordan River. He's the one that made the sun go backwards in Isaiah's day. He's the one that raised the dead in many cases and all the miracles that we talked about and many others that we never even got to. He is the miracle worker of the Godhead. And he did all of these things before his dispensation. Dispensation just means time. He did all of these things before his time. Jesus is saying, wait for the time to begin when the Holy Ghost is poured out in a new, never never seen before way. So the Holy Ghost is poured out on Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled. Notice it, the sound is just a byproduct. The cloven tongues of fire is just a byproduct. The issue is, verse 4, and they were all filled. Jesus didn't say, wait in Jerusalem until you see the Holy Ghost come like fire. He didn't say, wait in Jerusalem until you hear a sound of a rushing mighty wind. He said, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power. They were all filled. Notice the purpose of the Holy Ghost is to fill mankind. That's never before happened. And all the time that Jesus has done miracles here on the earth and all the time that 
uh, well, I, I guess we ought to leave Jesus out of the, the, the mix because he was born of a virgin and it worked differently for him. But every other miracle that has been done prior to this point has been, been done apart from the Holy Ghost filling anybody. Moses was not filled with the Holy Ghost when he did the miracles by the Holy Ghost. Neither was Joshua, neither was Elisha, neither was Elijah. Neither was anybody else. The Holy Ghost has never filled anybody. Now, you'll find certain scriptures in the Old Testament where it says certain people were filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? It does not mean what this means when it says filled with the Spirit. It means they were commissioned. It means they were equipped with the, by the Holy Ghost for a specific task for a specific period of time. But nobody could have the, the, the Spirit of, of God on the inside of them until after Jesus was raised from the dead. And up until this point when the Holy Ghost is poured out in Acts chapter 2, the only ones that have the Holy Spirit in any measure are the 120, at least that we have record of, are the 120 that are gathered in the upper room. They're the only saved people on the earth. Which tells us there's two works of the Holy Ghost. A work of the Holy Spirit because Jesus breathed on them and said receive the Holy Spirit. There's a work of the Holy Spirit to save mankind. And then there's a work of the Holy Spirit to empower or to fill man. Can't substitute one for the other. Can't be filled without being saved. You can't say when you're saved that you got it all unless you're filled too. Are you with me? So Jesus is saying, wait for the miracle worker. Wait for the miracle worker. Wait for the miracle worker. I want to impress upon you, hammer it in if necessary, that the job of the Holy Ghost is to work miracles. It's not to walk through, with life, through life with you holding hands and singing kumbaya. It's not to make you feel good. It is to bring you into victory, but that's because he works miracles. He doesn't want you to walk in victory so that you can say, man, am I not something? He wants you to walk in victory so you can say, wow, look at what the miracle worker has done. So they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. How do we know they were filled? Well, the Holy Ghost, who inspired Luke to write this, tells us the answer. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Folks, you cannot separate this verse in pieces. You cannot say you're filled, but you don't speak with other tongues. And You can't say it and be scriptural. A lot of people are saying it. A big part of the church says it because that's the way they want to believe it. But it's not scriptural. You can't say that you're filled with the Holy Spirit unless you speak with other tongues if you're going to be scriptural. And you can't say you speak with other tongues and not be filled. They go hand in hand. John Osteen used to say it's like a pair of shoes. When you buy the shoes, you get the tongues. (laughs) I'm surprised. I thought you'd heard that before. So what happens? Verse 16. It spills out into the streets and everybody comes gathered together wondering what's going on. Peter explains. Speaking by the Holy Spirit, he said, but that, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, folks, I would submit to you that Peter doesn't know anything about Joel. He's operating from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit at the, at the spur of the moment. But immediately, the Holy Spirit starts teaching him so he can speak to the other people about it. Speak to all the people about it. And he said, and it shall come to pass. Here's Joel's prophecy, at least part of it that he quotes. And it shall come to pass in the last days 
saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids will I pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and terrible day of the, the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, what is he saying this is all about? He's saying this is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. For what purpose? To indwell man. Well, how do we begin? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So he's talking about two things. He's talking about the same two experiences that they have. He's talking about receiving the Holy Spirit for the remission of sins, what the church world calls salvation. And he's talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus said was the receiving power. Now, folks, they've already been commissioned to go into all the world. They've already been commissioned. But God seemed to think it was important enough to have the power of the Spirit before you tried to go be a witness unto him in the uttermost parts of the earth. I don't know why the church thinks he's changed his mind. If he thought that to begin with, why wouldn't he think that now? God says he doesn't change. We're still living in the same period of time. And that's what I want you to get. Peter says by the Holy Ghost, here's what the Holy Ghost inspires Peter to say regarding the explanation of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. He said, this is what Joel prophesied. What did Joel prophesy? The time period of the Holy Ghost. Joel told us the beginning and the end of the period of time which is known as the dispensation. That's all that means is time period. The dispensation of the miracle worker. The dispensation of the miracle worker. No time before has the Holy Spirit done a miracle because he indwelt someone else. Really, folks, in in one sense, that's even true where Jesus was concerned. Jesus wasn't filled with the Holy Ghost like we are. One of the reasons we know that because we have no evidence that Jesus ever spoke with tongues. Why? Because he didn't live in this dispensation. I'll let you chew on that for a while, but don't don't throw away everything else because you might not agree with that or, or accept that at this point. I'm not saying Jesus had less than us. Jesus had everything that we have. And without question, he made the most of everything he had. But when the Holy Ghost came upon Jesus... And uh, and when he was baptized in the Jordan River, he didn't infill him. Jesus was already a man without sin because he was born into the earth that way. He wasn't saved because he didn't have a redeemer. Because he was sinless, he didn't need a redeemer. We do. So when the Holy Ghost came upon him, he came upon him in power. He didn't change his character. He didn't change his nature. He just gave him power to fulfill the righteous nature and character of God that he already had. That's not what happens with us. We get something. We have the Holy Ghost by measure when we're saved. We receive the Holy Spirit without measure when we're filled. I say without measure, I mean filled to the full. That doesn't mean I've got all the Holy Ghost that there is. If I had all the Holy Ghost there is, you wouldn't have any left for you. Or vice versa. So you understand what I mean by that, I hope. So Peter preaches 
by the Holy Spirit, and he said, this is what Joel prophesied. What did Joel prophesy? The time period of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is the time period from the day of uh, Pentecost in the book of Acts chapter 2 until the end of the tribulation period? See, when he talks about the sun turning and turning to uh, darkness and the moon into blood, the Bible tells us, John's revelation tells us that doesn't take place until the end of the tribulation period. So what is the dispensation or the time period of the Holy Ghost? It encompasses the church age plus the seven years of tribulation. Now, I'm willing to, to, to participate until the end of the church age. After that, the Holy Ghost is on his own. Because I'm going to be caught up into heaven. Now, how long is that dispensation? Well, so far, it's been 2,000 years. We don't know how long it's going to be before Jesus comes back for the church. Personally, folks, I don't see how I can go much longer. I don't mean to be alarmist, but I'm very careful about buying green bananas. I believe he could come at any moment. There's nothing left to be fulfilled before he comes. But there is something that he talks about that I think he wants to have a a greater measure of, and that's the glory of God in the earth. So what do they do? Well, 3,000 people get saved because of the preaching. What happens after they get saved? Notice it says in verse 42, and they, meaning the the 120 plus now the new 3,000, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers. What are they praying for? What are they praying about? Folks, here's what I want to get across to you. I want you to see what the early church, who had no teaching, had nobody to tell them. that There was nobody arguing about doctrine. Wouldn't that be nice? They are so brand new. The upside is nobody's arguing about what's right and what's wrong. The downside is they don't know beans. God doesn't want you in any either position. He wants you to know the truth and accept the truth for everybody worldwide. So they're continuing in fellowship, meaning their care for one another, their separation to the things of God, and in breaking of bread and prayers, the apostles' doctrine included. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Can I ask you why the signs and wonders are being done? Or maybe I should ask the question this way. Does the, do the signs and wonders that are being done by the apostles, are they being done because it's the will of God to be done and they would be done no matter what? Or does that have something to do with the things they're praying? Now, if they're going to be done no matter what because that's the will of God, then I've got a beef with God. Because he wanted more for them than he wants for us. Meaning the modern day church. Now, that's a lot of church teaching. That's what a lot of the churches believe, a lot of doctrines of the denominations and so forth, that the day of miracles is past. God did things in the early days of the church to prove something, but now he doesn't have anything to prove, so now he's not doing miracles like he did. Well, then God's changed. That's the only conclusion we could draw if that's true. Then God's changed. And if God's changed, that means he's a respecter of persons, which means we've got some pages to tear out of the Bible. I don't believe that's the case. Do you? Well, then what is it about? It's about them starting in the will of God and continuing in the will of God. 
And that creates a momentum. It creates an atmosphere for signs and wonders and miracles to be done. Folks, I'm going to make a statement that may seem harsh, but do you know the main reason why miracles are not being done in the church world today like we see them uh, recorded in the book of Acts in the early chapters? Because of the prayer life of the church. Now, certainly it has something to do with believing wrong doctrine. And I'm not sure how you could, I'm not sure it would be appropriate to emphasize one or the other. But we can, without question, say that the prayer life of the church has changed. No, I don't think anybody would argue that, would they? They continued steadfastly. That means they're continuing in prayer. And great fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. People didn't stop being people. They're still going to be themselves. They're still going to have their quirks. People are not completely without sin or, or perfect in any way. But Acts chapter 3 tells us that there was a sign and wonder done at the beautiful gate of the temple. The man was healed. The crippled man was healed. I wonder if that had anything to do with what they were praying about. And let me ask you this. What do they know about the word to pray? They've got no Bible. They've got no letters. Only thing they've got is the Old Testament. How is the church supposed to operate according to Old Testament doctrine? They don't even have the Gospels. They've got the law and the prophets. So what are they praying? Folks, in my opinion, you judge this for yourself, but they've just been filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. What are they doing most, more of than anything else if not speaking with other tongues? In other words, why not use what you just found out was the Holy Spirit that filled you? Now, I don't think that's a question just for the early church. I don't understand why we don't ask that question today. What in the world are you filled with the Holy Ghost for if you're not using it to speak in other tongues? What's he supposed to do with you? Is he just hitching a ride through life with you like Brother Hagin used to say? Poor old God, he's so bored he doesn't have anything else to do. He's got to walk around with you all day. Wondering when in the world you're going to wake up. What is it for if not to use? What is he there for if not to help you through the exercise of what he gave you? Well, it gets quiet then, doesn't it? So the man at the beautiful gate is healed. Peter and John are called before the the council. Same ones who crucified Jesus are now questioning them. By what power or what name have you done this thing? They said, Jesus, the one you crucified, he's raised from the dead. They have a real confab about what they're going to do. Finally, they threaten them and, and tell them not to preach or teach anymore in the name of Jesus. It says in verse 23 of Acts chapter 4, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said done to them and made plans to get out of town. Now, most people would have, but that's not what they did. Notice what they did when they were threatened not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus when Jesus has just said, Go speak all these words. Under the people, go preach the gospel unto all mankind. Notice what they did. Being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, when they heard the threatenings, when they heard about the trouble, folks, here's what you always do, should do when trouble comes. They lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Now I'm going to ask you the same thing I asked last week. I think it was last week, maybe the week before. Anyway, 
bears repetition. And that is this. Who's leading the prayer? It's got to be the Holy Ghost. They've never been threatened before. They don't have anything that they can turn to in their Bibles and say, here's what you do when the Jews threaten you. So what are they doing? They're responding to the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. What, therefore, are they most accustomed to doing? Praying. They follow their normal pattern, which is prayer. Now, since nobody is leading this prayer, certainly this is not written in English. It was written in Greek originally, and it's interpreted into or translated into the English, English language for us. But nobody's standing up leading them in Greek or any other language except the language that is given by the Holy Ghost. This, I want you to understand, this is a Holy Ghost interpretation of what they're all praying together in tongues. When, I, when my eyes were open to that one day, been years ago now, but when I saw that one day, this prayer took on a special meaning for me because I thought, now here are people that don't know any more than I do and in most cases know a lot less, I think, because of the truth of the word that we have that they didn't have. And now they're lifting up their voice in one accord in other tongues. They're just praying out in other tongues, not having one clue, one idea what they're praying. They know what they're facing, but they're just trusting the Holy Ghost to help them pray about the situation that, that stands in, in, in front of them. That's all they know. They don't know what they're praying. They don't know what they're saying. And here's the Holy Ghost giving us a record of what they prayed. Now, Luke wouldn't know. Luke wasn't even there. How is Luke going to write it to us? By the revelation of the Holy Ghost. That means when you pray in other tongues and don't know what you're praying for and wonder if you're praying anything about what you're facing or your situation or whatever circumstances are in front of you, that means here's what we can expect the Holy Ghost to do for us or what God hears in heaven about what we're saying. Which ought to give you a great incentive to speak in tongues more. I think one of the greatest criminal acts in the, in the modern-day church is people that are filled with the Holy Spirit that do not pray in other tongues regularly. And by regularly, I mean many times a day. Oh, but Pastor Mike, you just don't understand. I'm so busy on my job, I don't have time to pray for an hour. Who said anything about an hour? Read through this and tell me how long it took for them to say this. I think one of the greatest injustices done in the minds of the church, I'm not saying the person that did it was wrong, but somebody that took the, the saying of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane about what, could you not pray with me one hour? Because now everybody thinks you've got to pray for an hour if you open your mouth. I like what Smith Wigglesworth said when he was questioned about his prayer life, and he seemed to know God pretty well. He raised 20-some-odd people from the dead in his ministry. I don't know. That just makes me think he knew God somehow. Somebody asked him about his prayer life, and he said, well, he said, I rarely pray over anything, any one thing for more than 30 minutes at a time. He said, but I never go 30 minutes without praying. Man, I like that kind of prayer life. I can do that. I can find minutes here and there. So what did they pray? Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Notice the Holy Ghost magnifies God in his greatness first and foremost. Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? Second thing the Holy Ghost does is quote the word. 
The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, for of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel is determined before to be done. What's the Holy Ghost doing? He's saying, this is working just the way that it was supposed to. Why? How would he know? Because he's the miracle worker. He's the agent who administers the will of God in the earth. And now, Lord, notice all these things are done first. See, you pray in the Holy Ghost. You don't have to worry about praying because you're afraid of what's coming down the road. You're praying the perfect will of the Father. And this gives us an example of what that looks like. And now, Lord, after you've magnified God, after you've quoted the word, after you've put things in proper perspective, God's in control. God can take care of this. Nothing's too big for God. And now, Lord, behold the threatenings. And grant, first thing he asked for, Grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Why? Because the word of God is the power of God. There should be nothing more important in your life than speaking God's word. You want your situation to change? Speak the word. Notice that's important enough for the Holy Ghost to even do it in prayer. Grant unto thy servants with all boldness they may speak thy word. How? What's going to give them that kind of boldness? By stretching forth your hand to heal. And the signs and wonders may be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ or thy holy child Jesus. What are they praying for? They're praying for a move of the Holy Ghost. Now think about what that means. Here's the Holy Ghost inspiring the church to pray for a move of the Holy Ghost. If the Holy Ghost can move whenever he wants to, why does he need them to pray? We know the Holy Ghost wants to move. It's his time. Here's the Holy Spirit waiting 4,000 years for his time to come. Now his time comes and he doesn't want to move? Give me a break. He's been waiting because this has been the plan of God all along. By the way, where, where, Paul, or, uh, uh, where Peter quotes Joel and says, and it come, shall come to pass, Old Testament uh, translation into the King James says it shall come to pass afterwards. Afterwards is translated last days in Acts chapter 2. That specifically means that last day, that period, means the period of time for the Holy Ghost to be incarnate in man. The last period, the last time. We think of the last of the last days. When we talk about end times or last days, use those phrases. We think of the last of the last days. But it literally means the last time, the last dispensation. The last dispensation there is, folks, is the one we're in now. The dispensation of the miracle worker that indwells man. This is it. We better learn to cooperate with the Holy Ghost so he can do the thing that he was sent to do. There is no do-over. There is no next phase. This is it. Well, what happens when they pray that way? What happens when the Holy Ghost inspires them to pray that he'll move? He moves. Now, why would that change in anybody's mind? Why should anybody in the church world, why should anybody that names Jesus as their Lord and Savior, why should anybody think that that pattern would or should change? What's better than that? I mean, let's face it. If God wants us to do differently now, there's got to be an exchange or a swap for something better, doesn't it? Because the Bible says we have a better covenant established upon better promises. If we've got something better than what they did and what they started with, somebody needs to tell me what it is. 
Because I would question and debate that anything is better than that. Are you with me? Is this making any sense? I'm getting a lot of blank looks. I just want to make sure you're listening. I, I, don't, I don't need amens. I don't need you responding. I just want to make sure that I'm not wasting time here. If I'm over your head, let me back up and start over. Because I really want you to get this. And when they had prayed by the Holy Ghost for the move of the Holy Ghost, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Notice there's a refilling. These are people that are already filled and speak with tongues. They've just prayed in tongues. But it's talking about a new and a fresh refilling. See, folks, there is one infilling of the Holy Ghost, but there's a lot of refreshers. There's a lot of refirings. But if you're not using what you've got, you wouldn't know that. And a lot of the church doesn't. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Verse 33, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them. Here's power. Here's the result of praying for the move of the Holy Ghost. Power is shown just like they asked for. Now, as I said before, people are still people. It's not like everybody's walking around with a halo over their head. They're still having trouble with their flesh. Acts chapter 5 tells us about Ananias and Sapphira that tried to get political in the church and gain a position that God had not intended for them, and that did not turn out well for them. But it shows, and I'm glad we've got the record of it because it shows just exactly how people are still going to be people with their own quirks, their own flaws, their own faults, their own sins, their own works of the flesh and so forth right in the middle of a move of the Holy Ghost. See, a move of the Holy Ghost doesn't make everybody's character right. It just creates an atmosphere. The prayer of the church just creates an atmosphere for the Holy Ghost to move and show himself strong. You're still responsible for walking in the Spirit. You're still responsible for resisting the devil. And this shows that people are still people. They're not some special saints that we can never attain to. Verse 12, after the Ananias and Sapphira affair. Verse 12, and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest dared no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes, both of men and women. People are getting saved right and left, daily, regularly. In so much, in other words, here's the connection with people being added to the Lord because they're seeing this kind of power and this kind of result of the move of the Holy Ghost. In so much that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at the least the passing of the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about into Jerusalem bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits and some of them were healed. And they were healed, every one. Notice what happens when the Holy Ghost has control of the church's prayer life. People are healed in the streets. Now, again, you can't say they've got some special place with God or some acting in some special uh, means of perfection. We just saw two people die in church trying to gain a position that wasn't theirs. We can't say it's their character. We can't say it's the holiness of the people. That's made this happen because if they were holy, then everybody would be holy. And that's not the case. We see right on the heels of this in the next chapter or so, we see that people start arguing about how people are being fed in the, in the daily distribution of the, of the food. 
People are still people. They've still got their same quirks. They've still got their same flaws. They've still got their same divisions among themselves. They're still arguing and fighting about things, about things like kids. People will always do that. But the move of the Holy Ghost is taking place right in the midst of them. Why? Well, if it's not because of their character, if it's not because they put away every, bit, every trace of sin in their life, what is the evidence that we see in the Bible? Their prayer life. It's their prayer life that causes the Holy Ghost to move. Folks, I've got two goals for every person that considers this church to be their home church. Number one, to pray regularly, every day, several times a day for the move of the Holy Ghost. Secondly, to pray for the sick of the church. Oh, Pastor Mike, your vision doesn't say anything about walking in love. The Bible says love is the greatest thing. Listen, you start praying for the, for the move of the Holy Ghost, which is the will of God, and you start praying for other people in the church that are believing for their healing to be healed, you won't have near the problem walking in love that you're having now because you're praying first for the will of God and secondly, you're praying for others. That'll solve a lot of the love problem for many people. And that's why you see over and over again, it talks about these people are in one accord and they're praying together. What does that mean? That means whatever their, their differences are between one and another, whatever their differences are between Jews and Greeks or old people and young people or men and women, whatever the case is, whatever divisions people try to make between mankind, whatever those things are, are overcome by their prayer lives. What's the answer, Pastor Mike, for the black versus white issue? Prayer. What's the issue between gays versus straights? Prayer. What's the solution for the gender equality, inequality gap? Prayer. What's the answer for America? Prayer. But don't we need a Republican? <laughs> Folks, let me tell you something. I, I'm, I'm going to have to finish this next week. I'm way too far away from being finished with just the things I was planning to say this morning. Let me tell you something. Let me give you a little history lesson. In 1980, Ronald Reagan was elected president. That was the same time that I went to Bible school. I don't know. How many of you remember the Carter years? And everybody groans, right? <laughs> I understand that most people of this crowd don't have any concept of what was going on. You had to stand in line. You had to park your car in line at the gas stations to be able to get gas. There were only certain days you could even go to the gas station based on the number that was on your, your license plate. I, I'm sure they don't teach you this stuff in school. This was when I was in college. There were certain days that, I mean, you talk about water rationing. Wait till they start rationing the gas. That's what we experienced during the Carter years, the glorious, glory days of the Carter years. Well, when Reagan comes around, half of, the, half of the country went nuts. Half of the country is saying, this guy's a warmonger. He's going to go to war with China. He's going to push the button. And he didn't even make jokes about it when he was president. There was one time the mic was on. He didn't know it was on. He said, let the president of Russia know I just fired the nukes or pushed the button or something like that. I mean, he was, a, he was just a real guy, you know. Well, in 1980, um, Brother Hagin was impressed to have some prayer meetings. And he would have us pray, and we'd pray for the rain. Now, I'm talking about Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1. I ask you of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. So shall he make bright clouds. That's talking about a, a display of his power and a manifestation of his glory. In other words, it's a prayer for the moving of the Holy Ghost. And we'd pray for the, for the countries of the world. We prayed for the Soviet Union. And within two years... 
the iron curtain fell. I mean, it was amazing how quickly it worked. We were all looking at each other saying, wow, this prayer stuff really works. I mean, because all we were doing, he had it on his heart, but we're just following him. We just trusted that what he had on his heart was of the Lord and we just followed him. And there would be time, it wouldn't even be the focus every time of the prayer meeting. There'd be a lot of times we, he'd, he'd be dismissing us from the, uh, from the prayer meeting. And these prayer meetings only lasted for like six months. One night a week. And he'd get up and he'd say, well, okay, we're done. Let's go. And he said, wait, 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 wait. The Lord just reminded me we didn't pray for the rain. So we'd take the last five minutes. We'd pray for the rain. He, he would, would talk to us about the precious fruit of the earth. That's not the precious fruit of America. Now, during these prayer meetings, he'd have us pray for the country. He'd have us pray for the leaders of our nation, just like the Bible says. Pray for those that are in authority over you. And a lot of people seem to be stuck in the 80s, spiritually. During that time, the moral majority came forward, and the church became so political in a good way. I'm not, I'm not throwing rocks. I'm not criticizing. But the church became very politically minded. And there were a lot of Christian candidates that came out of this and, and uh, were elected to office that wouldn't have been otherwise. And I have no doubt whatsoever that it had to do with people praying. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it was our Brother Hagin's prayer or our prayer alone. I'm sure there were people praying in other ways. And the Lord impresses people to do the same things in different parts of the country that we never even hear, hear about. But what I'm saying to you is I was part of a group that created something that, uh, that was doing something that we could judge by the results that were taking place in the country. Well, these are not the 80s. And the Bible did say, and Paul did say to pray for our leaders, but what does he mean by that? See, in the 80s, we could pray for our leaders knowing that the leaders were looking for the direction of God. President Reagan was asking his cabinet members and other people, he'd ask them to pray for him when he was facing his decision. You think that happens now? I don't. So what do you pray? Yeah, people quote scriptures though, but the Bible says in Proverbs, it says the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and the Lord turns it wherever he wants. Well, what does that mean? I mean, let's look at the results of what's taking place in our country. Does that mean God makes ungodly people do what he wants? If that's the case, why didn't he make them get saved? So what does that mean? Folks, it means one and only one thing. It means God is greater than the leaders. But it does not mean that we can just pray and our leaders will make godly decisions. An ungodly man that has no inclination to do something godly is not going to listen to the voice of God to make a godly decision. No matter if he calls himself a Christian or not. And I'm convinced a lot of people are just political Christians. That day seems to be changing a little bit too. When the church begins to endure the persecution like it's beginning... To a greater and greater degree, you're going to find a lot of politicians that aren't even worried about saying they're Christians anymore. Much less how they live. So I've often wondered, if Brother Hagin were still here and he started another prayer group, what would he pray? Would he pray the same way for our leaders as he did before? I just can't become convinced of that. What would he pray? I can tell you what he'd pray. Knowing him well enough, I know just exactly what he would pray. He'd pray the one thing that the Lord impressed upon him to pray every time and, and many times reminded him right at the end, and that is he'd have us pray for the move of the Holy Ghost. He'd have us pray for the move of the Holy Ghost. 
He'd have us pray for the move of the Holy Ghost. Now, why is that so important? John Wesley said this. He said, it seems that God can do nothing except man ask him first. Now, he added this. He said, why that is, we don't know. Well, he didn't know. We do. The reason is because man has authority, not God, here on the earth. And if we don't use our authority to ask him to do what is his will to do already, then even though he wants it to be done, he's hindered from doing it. If you don't believe that, then turn back to Mark chapter 6 and see where Jesus could in Nazareth do no mighty work. God wanted it to be done. God had anointed Jesus to do it, but he couldn't do it. And the reason he couldn't do it was because of community unbelief. Folks, I would submit to you that the modern-day church is community unbelief. Somebody has a diagnosis of some dreaded sickness or disease or cancer or whatever the case might be, and they've got to search for somebody that knows something about healing. If they even reach out to God in any sense whatsoever, and many times they have to fight their own pastor, they have to fight their own church friends, just trying to get some kind of help from God. The modern-day church warns people and works against the very thing that the early church prayed for. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, there's two things. You're going to have to do what Jesus did. He went around to villages teaching, trying to overcome the unbelief through the teaching of the truth of the word. But secondly, it's going to take prayer. Because whether you know it or not, your prayer determines the atmosphere of our church service. Can I get real, 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 real with you? I look forward to Sunday night and Wednesday night more than I do Sunday morning. You know why? Well, let me say it in... uh, uh, well, no, I'm not even going to claim this to be my own thing. Let me, let me give you a, a hint toward it. I wish I'd told the story before I said that last statement. But I'll, I'll try to clean it up. We were, uh, Beth and I, before we started the church, preaching at a Methodist church in Conneaut Lake, New York. Beautiful place. Beautiful place. Upstate New York, uh, just gorgeous place. This town was country. It was... There, there were, there was maybe one fast food place in the whole town. There were a couple of churches. I'm, I'm not exactly sure of what the circumstances were behind us getting into a Methodist church, but the guy had. Um, I mean, I know, I know the, the some of the details, but I don't know some of the behind the scenes stuff. The uh, the pastor had seen our picture in Brother Hagen's magazine, The Word of Faith, when we were leaving him and going out on the road. And so he contacted us, and he told us he wanted us to come. Well, when he, when he called us, or I guess he wrote to us first, I called him back, and I said, uh, I said I'd be more than happy to, to come and, and minister at your church. I said, but do you know who we are? He said, yeah, I saw your picture in Brother Hagin's magazine. I said, so you know Brother Hagin? He said, well, yeah, I know of him, know of his ministry. And I said, but the letterhead on your, the letter you sent me says that you're a Methodist church. Are, are you sure your people are going to be happy with us being there? And he said, well, he said, it's like this. He said, the Methodists move you out every two years unless the church votes you to, to stay longer. Every, there's a two-year term. He said, my term's coming up, and I don't expect to be voted back in. <laughs> he 
He said, I've been kind of dancing around the edges of some of the truth of the word that I know and have learned from Brother Hagin and so forth for the last number of years, for the, well, the last two years that I've been here. And he said, if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out with a bang. <laughs> so I said, well, okay. I said, under those circumstances, I, I'm not going to hold back. I mean, I'm going I'm to tell them what's true. He said, that's exactly what I want you to do. So we advertised it as times of refreshing. Or actually, he's the one that had already advertised the meeting. He said, here's what we're going to call it. We're going to call it times of refreshing. I said, wait, 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 wait. Do you know what that is? That's talking about, that was what Paul talked about. I'm sorry, what Peter talked about regarding people being filled with the Holy Ghost. I said, if you, if you advertise it as times of refreshing, I'm going to advertise, I'm gonna have to preach on the, being filled with the Holy Ghost. He said, great. <laughs> okay, well, all right, if that's what you want, that's what we'll do. Well, time started getting short, and man, I got nervous. I'm thinking, you know, I, I, I don't know these people. They could kill me and hide me out back, and, you know, nobody ever even know. So anyway, we had a great meeting. Wound up, uh, long story short, we, we had a great meeting, had got most of the leaders in the church filled with the Spirit. Um, there were some real supernatural things that happened, things that were going on that I didn't even know until after the fact. And um, uh, and they voted him in. They voted to keep him because of that meeting, because of the, the impact that it had on the church. So some great things that happened. But I asked him because we uh, we had a Sunday morning service, and uh, if, if, I'm not sure how it worked. Maybe we started during the week, and then by the time the weekend came around, then we had a Sunday morning service. Uh, but I'd already preached in the church before Sunday morning came around, and man, it was night and day between the, the evening services and the Sunday morning service. And so I asked him, I said, man, what, you know, I, I, with all due respect, your Sunday morning church is cold as ice. He said, yeah. He said, well, he said, I said, how do you do this? I, we'd made friends with him, just sweet old guy. And uh, I said, how do you do this? And he said, well, he said, I entertained the goats. And then on Sunday morning, uh, he said, I entertained the sh-. I'm sorry, I messed it up. He said, I feed the sheep. During the evening services, and on Sunday morning, I entertain the goats. And I can't tell you how many times I've thought about that and how many situations I've been in where I've thought, and, and of course, he's talking about the atmosphere. And folks, I've got to tell you, and with all due respect, I love every one of you, but sometimes on Sunday mornings, I feel like I'm entertaining the goats. And I can't tell you how many times I've left a Sunday morning service knowing that the atmosphere was not what God wanted it to be and God didn't get done what he sent the Holy Spirit to do. I wish it was different and I plan for it to be different. But there's only one thing that can change it. Folks, if me being a better teacher would do it, that would be done because I've been working diligently to do that all my life it's not me changing that's going to make the difference it's changing the atmosphere through prayer now anybody can do that we may not change the, be able to change the, the spiritual atmosphere the spiritual temperature of the church world at large but we can sure affect our, and, and uh, influence our own and if God will not do for our church what he did for the early church because of the condition of the, the church world at large then I've got a beef with God. Because whether, you're not, whether you want to recognize it this way or not, everything we see in the book of Acts is one church. It's one local church. 
They controlled it for themselves. Now, they're the only church there is, so they are the church world as well as, as well as the local church. But they are a local church. Well, if that local church can do it, we can do it too. Let me remind you of something else. Turn with me over to James chapter 5. I'm not even going to get past the recap this morning. But James chapter 5, the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Here's the second witness. James writes to the church and says in chapter 5, verse 13, is any among you afflicted? That means going through a test or trial or a hardship. Let him pray. What's the answer to trouble? Prayer. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? The implication is there shouldn't be. But is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them. Pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. The word pray in verse 14 is the word worship or supplicate. It just means an oratory prayer. It just means a general prayer. But then it goes further and says in verse 15, and the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. This word prayer in verse 15 is a different word. It's a word that means a declaration or a statement. It means a vow. It means to declare something. The declaration of faith shall heal the sick. Now, if that's all it takes, if all it takes is declaring in Jesus' name, according to the word of God, Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses and with his stripes you're healed. If that declaration of faith is all it takes, why don't we see more healings in the church? And since we don't see more healings in the church by making that declaration of faith, and I'm not talking about other people, I'm talking about with me. I'm talking about me and my own, my own church, my own situation. If that's not the way that it's working, if that's not the results that we're getting, then there must be something else that we're missing out on. Rather than keep banging our heads on the same wall, expecting the wall to fall down, why don't we see if we're doing the right things? Well, what makes the difference? Notice it says the prayer or statement or declaration of faith shall heal the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Verse 16 is part of this. Confess your faults, sins, wrongdoings, one to another. Now, that doesn't mean have confessional services. That means if I've got something against you, I need to clear it up. If you've got something against me, pray about it. That's how you clear most things up. But it does say, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. This word pray is the word statement or vow. It's the same word translated prayer in verse 15. Declare, make declarations. Confess your faults one to another and make declarations one for another. Declarations of faith that you may be healed. So what is he saying? Uh, Let me finish the verse. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The word effectual means well-grounded or valid. In other words, praying the right way works. Praying the right way works. What is the right way? Well, he just identified earlier in the verse that it contains two things. It means walking in love toward one another and praying in faith. Now, when the church does that, then the elders of the church making the declaration of faith over the sick sick in verse 14 or 15. No, I'm sorry. I was right. Verse 14. The declaration of the elders in verse 14 works. In other words, James is saying in in what many believe is the first letter written to the church chronologically. 
James is saying, here's how healing works in the church. When the church walks in love and prays for each other, then the elders just simply make declarations, and on and with all, make declarations of faith over them, and the, and the sick are healed. Now, again, John Wesley, I don't know why I'm quoting him so much, but I'll quote him again on this uh, uh, verse. He said, this is the only process that was made available for healing in the church until it was lost by unbelief. So here's the second declaration or the second witness that we have of the early church at work. When the church walks in love toward one another and prays for one another to be healed, healing works in the church through the elders. Now, if James is not inspired by the Holy Ghost to write this, why did he put it down? James is the pastor of the church at Jerusalem, the very church that we've just seen the Holy Ghost moving through. Now, that was before James became the pastor. But this is the same guy in the same setting in the same church. And he's saying, here's how healing is supposed to work in the local church. Well, who should know if not him? He's in the church where the Holy Ghost first began to move. And he's saying, here's how the Holy Ghost moves in the church. Now, he talks a little further about prayer, where he says the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. He says in the next verse, verse 17, he says, Elijah is our example. Elijah prayed for the rain. That cannot be coincidence, folks. That he uses Elijah praying for the rain as the example. When the Bible says concerning the move of the Holy Ghost, ask you of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. Now, the time of the latter rain means the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. I've got two goals. One is to get you praying for the move of the Holy Spirit. And the second is to get you praying for healing for those in the church. Those are my two goals. Those will never change. That may be my constant comment from this point until Jesus comes back. And it may be the reason some people pray for Jesus to come quick. Because <laughs> I'm going to keep saying it and keep saying it and keep saying it till you're either under conviction and do it or have to admit you're in rebellion to God. Because in doing those two things, you're praying for the will of God and you're praying as an act of love for somebody else. I didn't even get to Corinthians. Corinthians tells us what the dispensation of the Spirit is all about. It tells us how we can expect the Holy Ghost to move. And Paul writes to the Corinthians the same thing using different words. You have to search for it a little bit more. But he says the same thing that Paul is saying or that James is saying to the church here. He's writing the same thing that Luke gave us by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost about the action of the church in the book of Acts. Pray for the move of the Holy Ghost and pray for others to be healed. Pray for the move of the Holy Ghost and pray for others to be healed. There should not be one sick person in this church that doesn't have a dozen people at least praying for them all the time. You think God wouldn't hear and answer that prayer? But what happens instead? What happens is we see people in the church that need healing and everybody sits back and wonders, what's the pastor going to do? Well, folks, if you're waiting to see what I'm going to do, you should have figured it out by now. I don't have power in and of myself to heal anybody. And unless you pray and unless we create an atmosphere for the Holy Ghost to move, sick people stay sick. So don't look at me like it's my fault. I'm making declarations of faith and anointing people with oil all the time. 
The fault lies with us as a church body. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, if one member of the body suffer, everybody suffers with it. I wish that were true. And I'm going to try to create an environment where that is true, where you care as much about the other guy being sick as you would care about yourself being sick. Because that's when we get things done. Is anybody out there? Let's all stand. We might as well act on what we're talking about. So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, you sold us to ask you of the rain in the time of the latter rain, the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. So we ask you for the rain, the moving of the Holy Ghost. You said that if we would ask, you'd give us bright clouds. You would cause your power to be on display and you'd manifest your presence. You said, Father, that you'd give us outpourings or showers of the Holy Ghost. That means you'd move by the Spirit of God in revelation gifts, in power gifts, and in utterance gifts. You said, Father, that you'd bring grass, give us grass in our field. That means people being won into the kingdom of God, people being affected and influenced by the power of God on display. So we ask you for the rain, Father. We ask you for the move of the Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit, grant unto us boldness that we may speak your word by stretching forth your hand to heal. And the signs and wonders would be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for every sick person that names Foothill Family Church their home church. We pray for Jim and John. We pray for Scott. We pray for Mike. We pray for, for Tina. We pray for Rupina, Father. We pray for Edie. We pray for Jerry. We pray for every person that we know of that's sick. We pray for those that we don't know of that are sick, that the Holy Ghost would move upon them. We declare by faith that ye were healed by the stripes of Jesus. Now, Father, we also ask you, whatever needs to change, whatever needs to be done, whatever needs to be affected in their bodies would be done miraculously in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that your word is true. We commit to create an atmosphere for the moving of the Holy Ghost because we know it's your will to move. We know it's your will to show yourself strong. We know it's your will to bring multitudes of people into the kingdom of God through great power in demonstration. Now, Holy Spirit, we need your help. We know we prayed by the the will of God, according to the will of God. And the word of God says, if we know that we prayed God's will, we know we've been heard. But the word also says that you help our infirmities because we don't always know how to pray as we ought to know. So we ask you for your help. We ask you for utterance to speak in other tongues, to pray the perfect will of the Father. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Every head bowed and every eye closed, please, in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. We thank you for impressing upon us by the Holy Ghost that this won't be just a one-time thing, but this will be a constant occurrence for us. 
that we'll pray for the move of the Holy Spirit and we'll pray for the sick of our church to be healed. Thank you, Father, in advance for signs and wonders and miracles being done in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, with head bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. You may be here this morning and say, Pastor Mike, what you're talking about this morning is, is a foreign language to me. I don't know anything about making Jesus my Lord. I don't know anything about speaking in other tongues or being filled with the Spirit. All of this is just completely foreign to me. If that's the case and you would like to be saved, which is a church terminology, church term for coming into the family of God, or you want to be filled with the Holy Ghost, either or both of those, heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand right where you are. Lift it up high so I can see it. If you want to be saved this morning, make Jesus the Lord of your life, or you want to be filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, please lift your hand now. I see one hand back there. I see another hand. Good. You have to lift it up high with everybody standing up. I can't see so well into the crowd. Are there others that will join these two? Pray for me, Pastor Mike. I want to be saved and or filled with the Spirit. In Jesus' name. If you've lifted your hand once, you don't have to put it up again. You can put it down now. All right. Heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed. I'm going to talk to those two that raised your hands. I want to speak to you specifically for just a moment. It doesn't take but just a few moments to be saved. It doesn't take but just a few moments to be filled with the Holy Ghost. It's simply a matter of praying what the Word says and letting God do His work. So I want to talk to you that raised your hand. If you meant business with God, I'm going to ask you to gather your belongings. If you came with somebody and you want them to go with you, that's fine. Tap them on the shoulder. I want to take you or have our guys take you to the place of prayer, the prayer room. So I'm going to ask you to make your way out. There's a guy that's going to have to lift his hand up real high back at the doors. He's got his hand up now. He's waving his hand. You can open your eyes and look up here at me. There's a gentleman right over there. He'll show you where the prayer room is. I'm going to ask you to make your way out to where he is now. He's going to lead you to the prayer room. He'll lead you into the prayer of salvation. He'll lead you into how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you can enter into this wonderful, wonderful life where the miracle worker indwells you and fills you with power. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Now, don't let the devil talk you out of it now. We've had a couple of people respond that raised their hands, but there's another that did not. We're going to wait just another moment that you'll be so glad you went. Don't let the devil talk you out of it. All right. Good. Good. Now, those of you that are in the congregation, why don't you open your eyes and look up here at me. Let's pray for these that just went to the prayer room. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for those whose hearts you touched this morning. We thank you for changing their lives. We thank you for saving them because Jesus said, who that comes to me, you would in no wise cast out or turn away. We thank you, Father, that because you are a good father and know how to give good gifts to your children, you give the Holy Spirit to everyone that asks. So we thank you, Father, for saving them. And filling them with the Holy Spirit this morning. We thank you for a special utterance. And a presence of God in that prayer room. That makes it easy for them to receive. In Jesus precious name. In Jesus precious name. In Jesus precious name. If you can agree with that say amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Here's what I want you to do. Starting today. I want you to pray for the move of God. Number one. Number two. I want you to pray for the sick of our church. Who will do that? If you'll do that, I want you to raise your hand. Commit yourself. God sees your hand, bless your darling heart. You're on the hook now. 
Now, how long did it take for us to pray? We prayed in five minutes. It's not a long thing, and I wanted to make sure not to go too long. Because I want you to, be, to, to see, it doesn't take a long thing. Now, there may be times where you have that you can commit yourself to prayer, and those are great times when they happen. But that doesn't always happen in our schedule. But you can always take a couple of minutes. And that's all it takes. That's all it takes. God's not looking for how much time we spend. He's looking for us to speak well and speak scripturally, uh, scripturally founded. He wants what we say to be founded on the scripture. It's the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man that avails much. It's not the 24-hour day fast. Amen? Your prayer works when you pray in line with God's plan. And praying for the move of God and praying for the sick of the church is God's plan. Say it with me. The Lord is good, Lord is good. and His mercy endures forever. forever. Now say this. According to our prayers, to our prayers the, Holy the Holy Ghost is moving in our church with signs, signs. and wonders and, wonders. and miracles, miracles. Healing, miracles. healing miracles in Jesus' name. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.